0: Through their music. Out of the box with Joey Watson. On FBI 94.5. Hello, FBI Radio Listener. Yep, Joey Watson here. This is Out of the Box. Every Thursday from midday to one, I get to sit down with one person and roll through the records from their life and the stories uh, that define them. Before I introduce my guest today, listen to this. Here, a that shock to the system maybe is ancestral. It's one of the tracks of the latest EP from Arafura. The anti colonial erratic hardcore group have just been nominated for an FBI Radio Smack Award for Best Live Act. The lead singer is Aisha. They are with me in the studio studio today. Before music, Aisha came to Australia and spent their childhood as an undocumented migrant from Indonesia. That's informed a lot of their politics expressed throughout music. And otherwise, Aisha, a warm welcome to FBI Radio and Out of the Box.
1: Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: Aisha, what we just heard sits within a genre called power violence. It's completely new to me. Can you give me a, a beginner's introduction to the genre?
1: Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so I guess it does kind of fall under that genre, but it's. Uh, yeah, kind of reject the term because of its, like, really aggressive and, like, masculine connotations, so...
0: Yeah, the violence in the genre. Yeah, it's got- <laughs> I
1: mean, like, power and violence put together is, like, extremely, um, yeah, aggressive. So it has... Power violence has its roots in sort of a crossover between, like, metal and punk. Um, it's, like, a more aggressive, more erratic uh, style of those genres, and I guess the complicated thing is, like, it doesn't actually describe the music very well, you know, like it's just two random, like sh- staunch words put together and then you kind of have to like imagine what that sounds like. Um, so in the most in in recent years, Arafura have kind of rejected that and we actually made a joke of it calling ourselves like anti-colonial, anti-power violence. Um, <laughs> yeah, because of, yeah, uh, I guess not only the connotations but also the grindcore or power violence scenes in general are like very much filled with like very like toxic masculine behaviours um, and clearly that's not what our music is about and not what I'm about, so
0: yeah. It's very loud, it's very raw. Mm. What draws you into a genre like that? What, what does it do for you? I suppose as a listener first, I might ask.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's funny because I don't really listen to music that sounds like that, to be honest. Like, I've, you know, like, throughout my life have listened to it, but currently I I rarely listen to, like, loud punk or hardcore or whatever. Um, so you
0: perform it, but you don't listen yeah, to it? Why yeah. Why is that?
1: I mean, I, like, I go to live shows where that kind of music is played. Um, I guess I just, you know, when I'm, like, sitting in my room, it's not really... The kind of music I want to like zone out to and also there's something about the the spirit of a live show that you can't emulate in your bedroom or like in your home and I think I reserve that maybe like a mental energy for being at a show you know with like other people and like sharing that space I just don't I don't think it you know I don't think it's bad or anything I just for my own personal taste, it doesn't translate well into my everyday life, if that makes sense.
0: But what about as a performer? Um,
1: what,
0: what, is it, what does it offer you, I I, I guess? I, I suppose from what you've been saying, it's intermingled, intermingled with your politics.
1: Absolutely. So actually, it's really funny that you mentioned that because I read a quote today and I'm, <sighs> I'm probably going to butcher it. Actually, I'm not going to say the quote, but <laughs> um, the gist of it was that like... When we're addressing systems of violence um, or, like, you know, like like oppressive structures, um, like those structures are very irrational. Um, They're very chaotic. And I think, like, we're always implored to meet those structures with, like, peace and calm and be rational in the face of like very uh, severe brutality and so I think my mindset on it is that if we just meet those structures with the same brutal force like it's kind of like it just ends up being chaotic and you might end up seeming quite crazy or you know like again irrational but it it's it's kind of matching their energy, if that makes sense. And like, I, I, I also just enjoy screaming. Like, it's it, it, extremely therapeutic, kind of you know. Therapeutic, yeah, right. yeah. And so, like, I think that given the content of the lyrics as well, like, what better way to express that than through something really abrasive and, yeah, like the way that I see it if the revolution happens like it's not going to be pretty you know like and I think the music kind of reflects that.
0: It might sound something like (laughs) Arafura. I
1: mean yes and then you know like what comes after that might be more peaceful and calm but right now we're in a state of catastrophe everywhere you know And, and I think that that's like that's my preferred way of expressing that and talking about those issues well,
0: yeah. well, let's go to some music off the, the top now, I. Show. Sure. What can we play for power violence or, more correctly, for the movement against power violence?
1: Right. Um, yeah, so I picked a song called This Is Your Bystander Defect by a band called The Thor. Um, I want to say they were around during, like, 2005. Um, they were a band of all women and uh i guess like kind of in the diy punk scene here and um they were the first band i saw that had all women in it and also women of color and i was finding myself going to shows and feeling really disenfranchised because of the people around me who were all white men you know that was the example that i had for like heavy music um, and I saw these guys and they were screaming and they were playing like quite erratically and but also very like complex music and very interesting and it wasn't, you know, what I had seen before in the punk scene. So I think that the reason I even have space in this scene or community or whatever is because of people like them. Um, yeah.
0: 2005 was Thor. This is your bystander, Defects, the name of the song. Some very heavy-hitting music brought in today by Aisha, who uh, um, themselves is a heavy-hitting musician. Uh, their band, Arafura, is nominated for an FBI Radio Smack Award for Best Live Act. Aisha, you were named for your great-grandmother, but you don't actually have her name. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So um, during the Dutch occupation of Indonesia, um, my... So, sorry, prior to the the Dutch occupation, my mother, my great-grandmother was a medical professional, kind of like a nurse, I guess. And then the Dutch occupied and she lost her job Um, and the violence in that region in east java was just increasing on a daily basis and like there were
0: Wait, when are we talking here historically
1: oh, i wish i could tell you the year but it would have been
0: a <sighs> like... we're going we're going back to the late 19th century maybe
1: yeah no it was like 18 something sure yeah like maybe No, I'm not going to say because then I'll just get it really wrong. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so there was increasing violence in that region and my great-grandmother noticed that there were a lot of, like, displaced women and children um, whose fathers were out fighting these wars or, um, you know, turned into slaves. Um, Yeah, so she decided that she would start – kind of like a guerrilla health organisation to take these people in and, you know, provide healthcare for them um, during those times. And her and she called it Aisha. And then I also found out that uh, there was another, like a, an Islamic organisation uh, specifically for women as well called Aisha, kind of, I can't remember if it was before or after, but it just seems like a name that's been used for... Uh, you know, like collectives that care for each other and that's like quite special and sacred to me.
0: Have those stories of your great-grandmother, the stories of um, a Dutch occupation mm. in Indonesia been been passed on through your family? Do you, do you know something of them?
1: Look, there aren't many written, like written records of anything from that era. <laughs> um, so these are stories that my father has told me. And even then, um, just because of, like, fractured communities, my father himself was not – was quite disconnected from his grandmother, who was my great-grandmother. So, yeah, it's all through oral traditions. You know, we don't have – there's not a lot of written records, and even if there are, like, a lot of them were destroyed or just – yeah.
0: So, from that oral history, what what do you know of the nature of uh, the occupation? Was um, it particularly brutal?
1: Yeah, and and very like, I think, I think the misconception with you know colonization, often is that it's like this one time event, but when you look at the history of Indonesia, they were there for three hundred and sixty five years, and Indonesia's always been like a, a contested body of islands because of the resources that we have there. Um, So it was ongoing violence and maybe there were periods of peace. And I think that a lot of the people in Indonesia who kind of have this nostalgia for like the Dutch times focus on those periods of peace or like financial abundance or like, you know, economic growth without realising what was sacrificed for that, um, which is... That's
0: interesting. Is there a a movement in Indonesia of people that look to the colonial times in a rose-tinted way?
1: Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Even um, though it's a
0: predominantly uh, like historically Indonesian population yeah. as opposed to a settler colony like Australia.
1: Yeah. So that's the complicated part and I guess as someone who was born here and um, is, you know, constantly in this conversation between like what I'm doing here and what people are doing over there, like I feel like I've had a lot of distance from – the motherland and therefore can maybe see these structures play out um, in a more objective way but there are people who definitely have nostalgia for the colonial times simply because they felt like life was more especially in terms of like the economy or like financially it was more stable but that was only for a certain class you know and and I think the 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 poor and the working class are completely like dismissed in history and it's also the stuff that's taught in school as well is like really misinformed so it's a really complicated place to be in I think you know having like these very hard line anti-colonial politics but then hearing family members or community members like speaking about those times as like you know, beautiful or like abundant times, it's, it's, it's complicated.
0: Have you visited Indonesia as an adult?
1: Yes. What's Um, it
0: like being there?
1: It's, it's, it's strange. Like it, it feels really good being there. Like, you know, on a, on multiple levels, like obviously just in terms of like the actual atmosphere or like the climate, that's just where my body thrives. Like my skin glows there and my hair looks really great and you know like and I don't even have to put effort into it so it's like you know I I feel in my body that it is good for me to be there but I think yeah going back to what I was saying in terms of like the complex conversations around colonization or like even um the way that the Indonesian government currently operate as like a nationalist again like you know replicating colonial systems in places like West Papua or like East Timor um it's it's hard like it's really confronting being there and having and realizing that like it's more like it's not as cut and dry as I maybe understand it as like anti-colonial or like you know for the colony or whatever it's actually like it's it's 365 years of of like really messy again irrational systems of violence you know and we haven't we haven't healed from that. There hasn't been enough time pass for us to heal from those, you know, from, from that oppression.
0: What do we want to play now? We've got to go to some more music. What, what track should we put out there?
1: Um, good question. Uh, maybe like hip hop by most I don't know. (laughs) Why
0: why do we love Mostef?
1: Um, I think, yeah, just in terms of like talking about like, uh, Family history and stuff, I grew up with a lot of hip hop around the house. My older sister is eleven years older than me, and my brothers also who are who are a few years older than me they all of them listened to hip hop and r and b so it's definitely like what my ears are more attuned to um, but with this song in particular, it was like the first song where the lyrics are so explicitly political and actually like going through like historical facts as opposed to just like having like a general political stance, you know, and I think it helped like obviously it's in the context of the US and, you know, um, black people there in slavery, which is very different, but it helped I guess as a young kid, like 11 or 12, listen to that and be like, oh, there's like there are things that we can do with music um, there are things that we can talk about through music uh, that are meaningful.
3: You see one for the treble, two for the time. Come on, y'all, let's rock this. You say one for the treble, two for the time. Come on, speech is my hammer, bang the world in the shape, now let it fall. Huh. Restlessness is my nemesis, it's hard to really chill and sit still Committed to page, I write around, sometimes won't finish for days Scrutinize my literature, from the large to the miniature I mathematically add, minister, subtract the wax selector Will it back, I'm feeling that From the core to the perimeter, black, you know the motto Stay fluid, even in staccato Full-blooded, full throttle, breathe deep inside the drum hollow there's the hum, young man, where you from? Brooklyn number one. Native son, speaking in the native tongue. I got my eyes on tomorrow. Yeah, Why you still trying to find where it is, I'm on the ad where it lives and dies. Violently, silently, shine so vibrantly that I squint they catch a glimpse. Embrace the bass with my dog ink fingertips. Used to speak the King's English, but caught a rash on my lips. See, now my chat just like this. Long range from the baseline. Switch. Move like an apparition. Go to the ground with ammunition. Ch-chabow. Move from the gate, voice queued on your tape Putting food on your plate, many crews can relate Who choosing your think, yo? We went from picking cotton, to chain gang line shopping To be popping to hip hoppin' Blues people got the blue chip stock option Invisible man, got the whole world watching. Where you at? I'm high, low, east, west, all over your map I'm getting big props with this thing called hip hop Where you can either get paid or get shot When your product inside stop The fair where the friends flock When your chart position drop then the phone calls, chill, chill. For a minute, Man, let's, let's see who else hot Snatch yourself, spot Don't gas yourself, up. I... The industry just a better built cell block A long way from the shell times. And the bell's the L rock, 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 rock. Exactly. It is a backwater remedy, bitter and tender memory A class C felony facing the death penalty Stimulant and sedative, original, repetitive Violently competitive, a school unaccredited The break beat, you get broken with all time and inappropriate Hip hop went from selling crack to smoking it Medicine for loneliness, remind me of the loneliest and dizzy Why the b-boys getting busy? The wartime snapshot the working man's jackpot, a $2 snack box, so beneath the cracks spot, Olympic sponsor of the Black Glock. Gold medalist in the back shot. from the sovereign state of the half-knights, where farmers have trouble with cash crops. It's all city-like base two, and I will simply amaze you, praise you, pay you, do whatever you say, do. but black it can't save you.
0: That song there, Hip Hop, by Must have some classic uh, hip-hop for you, uh, FBI radio listener. Brought in uh, not by me, but by my guest on Out of the Box today. It is Aisha. Their band, Arafura, has been nominated for an FBI Radio Smack Award. You can jump on to the FBI Radio website and vote for them. Many other incredible acts that have been nominated for a whole bunch of other awards as well. Aisha, did your family have a, a long plan to come to Australia when they were living in Indonesia?
1: Yeah. Um, How long? Ah, it's, oh, it's kind of, well, my my father originally came here when he was twenty one, as a student. He was studying um, aviation out in Bankstown, and he had you know glorified this land in his head, like romanticized it, and so he was always dreamt of raising children here, um, and you know finding like financial stability and creating like a peaceful life that was maybe like comparatively to what his life was like in indonesia you know much more fulfilling and more successful so yeah it was it was a it was definitely a long plan but at the same time like the circumstances that actually made him come here were quite sudden so there was like an increase of violence between um the sort of his family and my mum's family and just in general in the region that he was living in at the time. So it was almost like he fled.
0: Can I ask what sort of violence?
1: Uh, So I guess it's like, so my dad is um, Jawa, so Javanese, and my mother is Batak. And they're two very different They're not really tribes, but, like, ethnic groups. And um, there was a lot of tension in the family about them marrying. Um, And so, it was, yeah, I guess more of, like, an interpersonal violence sort of situation. Um,
0: So, your your dad's response to that was to try and get the family to Australia. To bail, yeah. (laughs) To bail. Yeah. How many years had passed since he'd been here?
1: Oh, quite a number of years. Like... I'm trying to remember, like, when he met my mum.
0: Maybe upwards of a decade.
1: Oh, uh, no, less than a decade it would have been. Okay, yeah. but a few years had
0: passed. Um, yeah. How did he execute it?
1: Uh, got on a plane and came here. With like, everyone? Yeah, with... Um, so, I wasn't born yet, so it was my sister. He actually, he actually attempted this twice. Um, so, he got on a plane with my sister, my mum, and... My brother and my mum was pregnant at the time with my other brother, and so they went. They came over here, tourist visa kind of situation, and then um, my mum, (laughs) like it sounds a little bit silly, but my mum decided that she wanted to have my brother uh, give birth to my brother in Indonesia because of the healthcare there. Like she actually had access to it, you know, whereas over here she would have had to. I don't know. It would have been a struggle to to get, get through that and access the like um, right resources to have a kid so they actually came they actually went back to jakarta and she ended up having my brother there and then whilst over there again were sort of being persecuted in their own communities and then decided like no like we've got to we've got to go like we've got to go again so they tried it again um, again with the tourist visa and stuff. And then I ended up being born here and that's kind of where I guess I understand things to have started, that doesn't make sense, but <laughs> that's where I come into the picture. And-
0: so you were born here while your parents with a fairly large group of family had mm. migrated. Yeah. Um, you are born here, they're on a tourist visa. What happens when the tourist visa runs out?
1: So this is is kind of what I mean by undocumented, right? So like my mum has me and then um, there's this term in Indonesian called Orangalap, which means it literally translates to like dark person, but what that really means is like person living in the dark um, and that's undocumented. That's what an undocumented person is, I guess. So like... I moved around like even more frequently than yearly as a child, um, to because little did I know at the time we were running away from immigration. Um, yeah, so it was it was just a pretty chaotic childhood, but like I, I have really fond memories. You know, for me it was like an adventure.
0: How how old were you when you realised? Do you remember what there was a if there was a moment in your childhood when it became apparent that you were actually having to flee the law
1: I had no idea until I was about 11 when my father was detained um and put into Villawood Detention Center
0: how did that happen
1: uh in a very kind of uh it's almost like a movie but basically I was living in a house that we had actually settled in for quite a while at that point um and maybe that's how they they found us or something. I don't know. But um it was literally the middle of the night. I was awake uh being a brat or something. And my uh doorbell rang. No, actually, no, that's a lie. The doorbell didn't ring. Um I heard a car pull up at the front. And so I went over to the front door and we had sort of a glass pane and I was looking through it and it was a van. And like next minute I just hear the back gate open and I see my dad running and he didn't make it past them in time. And there were four men in suits that just like tackled him to the ground and threw him in and kind of came over and spoke to my mum, And it was, it was very chaotic and then I got sent to my room and I don't know what else happened. Um, yeah.
0: How long was your dad in Villawood for?
1: The first time around he was in there for like a couple of weeks maybe three weeks. And then he was sent back in there um, for other reasons, well, related reasons, obviously. But um, that was for longer. I think it was about a month and a half.
0: Did you visit him there?
1: I visited him once.
0: What was that like?
1: Um, I don't know. I have a very fuzzy memory about it, I think. Like a lot of, you know, like that's kind of a trauma response, I guess, to just have... To block things out of your brain um but I remember the common room being very like normal um it had like chairs and tables and couches or whatever um but at the same time even though that part of it seemed quite normal like you still have to like walk through electric fences and you know that that's that's a mem- like that's an image that sticks in your brain so yeah it wasn't it wasn't great and I think that's probably why my mum decided like not to take me again and just save it for phone calls, you know. What did it
0: take for your family to become naturalised eventually or at least to not be fleeing immigration authorities while they're here?
1: Um, so it was a really long process and it actually, because I was the only person who was born here, it kind of all, like their entire um, like immigration case depended on that fact that like I was a child and for for your parents to be deported like obviously that would have an extreme mental impact on a child so it was it was literally that that like our solicitors or whatever were pushing forward um and I remember yeah I remember being like 11 or 12 and writing letters to MPs and sitting in like the solicitor's office, sitting in like psychologists' offices and like trying to figure out a way. It was, it was a really long process. And like, I think, I think I was like 17 when my dad was finally granted a permanent residency here. Obviously he was put on a bridging visa for pro- like during the whole processing part, but yeah, I'd say like five to six years of, of that.
0: What can we play for that? Whole process, <laughs> Are you sure?
1: um, yeah. I guess I, I guess we'll throw it to uh, Raging Against the Machine with No Your Enemy.
0: <laughs> I think that one kind of speaks for itself, right? <laughs> <laughs> against the machine going hard here on FBI radio and this show and podcast wherever you get it Spotify etc is uh, out of the box my guest is Aisha they are in the power violence or poorly defined power violence (laughs) band of uh, Arafura their band is up for a FBI radio smack award Aisha what was high school like for you
1: um yeah, it was it was not great. I guess um, I went to an all-girls school in sort of like the Bankstown region, and it was like it was a very diverse school, lots of kids from everywhere, um, but very conservative. Still, like quite segregated. Um, many of the teachers were white.
0: How was it segregated?
1: Just in terms of social groups, you know, like the kids, like the white kids hung out with the white kids and Asians with the Asians, like the like Lebanese kids would hang out together. Very much like ethnic groups hanging out on their own kind of thing. And
0: yeah, yeah Today, your politics is obviously a big part of who you are. Mm. Was that already the case when you were at school?
1: Yeah, I think I... I couldn't help it, you know, like, given the history of my family and given, like, what I had just recently gone through as, like, a a kid in year five and six. um, It always – it was always there and, like, you know, like, it's funny that we're talking about music because that's, like, one of the ways that I expressed that is, like, a lot of the music that I was listening to was, like, political music. Um, Like, my, you know, folders were covered in, like, Rage Against the Machine – posters and stuff and like I would come to school thinking like I was heaps cool wearing a you know black cardigan with patches all over it or something like that um and I think that was like a really strange thing back then um
0: did you agitate (laughs) like were Um, you organized to actually create some sort of politics in the playground anywhere else I
1: mean look I got into fights if That's what you mean by agitate, but, like, (laughs) not necessarily in, like, a structured way, you know, like... um,
0: How would it happen?
1: I... So, one one distinct memory that jumps out is, like, I was friends with a, a Vietnamese girl who was being bullied for being Asian in a class of, like, mostly white people. And she, one time, came running up to me during lunch and was crying and kind of told me what had happened. And I, you know, just being like a teenager, but also like just kind of my personality in general, like I just jumped up and I was like ready to just like confront this person who or this group of people that were doing that to her. Um, And I literally had one of my friends who was like twice the size of me, like grab me around the waist and be like, no, we're in school, like you're going to get suspended, dude, like don't do it. Um, So then like sat back down, calmed myself down, and then at the end of that day, I was standing out the front at the gates and she came running out again and she was bawling her eyes out again and it had happened. Um, and at this point it had happened for, like, weeks on end.
0: What What was actually happening to her?
1: She was just being bullied, uh, like... Racially? Yeah, racially bullied, like, during classes. And no, no teachers were really, like, taking it very seriously and she was just exhausted and, and you know... Um, And I guess I kind of thought of me as someone who she could vent that to. Um, And then out the corner of my eye, I see this group of people who were doing that to her. And I ran over and jumped on one of their backs and like started (laughs) beating them up, which is like, you know, like I'm not, I don't want to like glorify that or anything, but it got to a point where it was like the, that was the only thing that made them stop. And it was, It was put me in a weird position because, like, uh, a lot of people at school decided I was very cool for doing that, which was like really strange because I didn't feel cool doing it. I actually, like, I was just angry, you know, and like I saw some kind of injustice happening and I couldn't figure out another way to address it. And, um, anyway. Yeah, that kind of stuff. But I didn't have, like, you know, any cool, like, anti-colonial collectives or anything within the school. I don't think I had, like, that kind of understanding, like, complex understanding just yet, you know.
0: Let's jump into some more music. Sure. What do we want to play second last, Aisha?
1: Second last. Um, you know what? Let's go with Misunderstood by Young and Lips. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. I need a foe with a big Tell her, go grab me a stick. Now she claiming that she love it, yeah. Get her roses by the dozen, yeah. Baby, take you out in public. Mess around until the sun is. I ain't playing, I ain't frontin' Didn't stop this off for nothing, yeah. I put up on you, baby, like what's good. I can take you on trips, show you the hood. Ain't nobody gonna take you. I wish that they did, would. And i bad in the set, cause I misunderstood, yeah, yeah. I need a four. Tell her, promise me some more. Since you walk through the door so I'm breaking this feeling, baby. Fuck around and you leaving, baby. Time is precious, can I keep it, baby? Maybe one day we just human, lady. Let check up and go see on the daily. Cone is packing now, I'm hella faded. Not my missus, but it's me, she lazy. Baby, one day I can make a payment. I've been down for a minute, now I'm getting up. It ain't how to city, they're young and be stuck. Speak on my name, but they want say too much. I see me in clubs and they still show me love. Don't fuck with a fact, but they can't get enough. She give me the kitty and won't even fuss. Give me two minutes and I run a mock, I ain't looking as shy as she lost. See that you nasty, see that you can't be See that you cannot see, they get it past me Wonder if you ever gonna let the past me If this ain't what you wanna, leave you gladly If I been looking at you from my badge Last time you told me I can come and have it Now I really got you laughing Pick you up and let me smash it Buster, then I gotta dash it Doing 150 in traffic, call me a savage Now that pussy living lavish I'm trying to find her a passage But got the message, told me go and get the package i am going like Dennis the Menace, with tennis. We don't give no second chances To one double six, been in free, my brother took it You ain't know about an no. this. I need a four with a big, Tell her, go grab me a stick. Now she claiming that she love it, yeah. Get a roses by the dozen, yeah. Baby, take you out in public. Miss around until the sun is I ain't playing, I ain't it. Didn't start this off for nothing, yeah. I put up on you, baby, like what's good. I can take you on trips, show you that hood. Ain't nobody gonna take you. I wish that they did, wouldn't. i bad in the set, cause I misunderstood, yeah, yeah. I need a fall, Tell her, pull me some more. Since you walk through the door. You've been breaking it
0: Misunderstood by Young and Lips there. This is FBI Radio. This is Out of the Box, being the show every midday, every uh, Thursday from midday to one. And also on podcasts wherever you get that. Um, in the lead up to the Smack Awards, you can vote for those online. I am speaking to the nominee for Best Live Act, uh, Aisha. Uh, in addition to being the lead singer of the band uh, Arafura, they um, were also an undocumented immigrant um, to Australia. And that is something that has informed a lot of your politics today. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a member of the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance. I've seen stickers around, <laughs> yeah. splattered around Sydney, around the CBD. What's the organisation's purpose?
1: So Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance, or AAA as we call it, um, we're a collective of Asian identifying people who are committed to sort of working in solidarity with First Nations people here in so-called Australia. Um, I guess the reason we formed was because there's this like kind of overarching narrative for Asians in Australia to assimilate and to uh, you know be prosperous or to settle, you know to buy land and to to build some kind of like happy capitalist life. Um, and we are actively trying to resist that narrative. And to choose, um, to recognize like the truth of this land, which is Indigenous sovereignty, and you know, weaponizing our privileges as settlers here to. Um, to assist and to be guided by like First Nations struggles that have been here for you know, over 200 years now.
0: What do you want to see? What, what does that mean in, in practice? Like what, what what is the kind of world that you're trying to create in that sense? I, I mean, the idea of understanding is obviously very important and there are a lot of groups agitating for that, a better understanding of the history. Mm. But what does it mean? in a more real sense, I guess.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. I think it goes, you know, far beyond understanding or recognition or acknowledgement. Like um, we actually ran a workshop today and had this conversation and we did like a visioning activity with um, a bunch of people that came along about what our world would look like after the revolution, you know, like a decolonized world or... um,
0: what, what is the revolution? What do you understand the revolution to be?
1: Well, I think the revolution is currently uh, in place. Um, I think that that's like a misunderstanding is that like it's going to be this one-time event, but I think there is so much preparation for it already in place. Um, and yeah, it might end up being like quite chaotic, armed, you know, violent. Um, but that's what, like that's what we've been pushed to.
0: Would you advocate for that? For if it if it came to it, would you advocate for people to rise up in a violent way?
1: I think that I think it's a it's a more complicated conversation than that. Um, but also, yes, I you know I we're watching like people being murdered by the state at like a really alarming rate you know genocide is still occurring and we've seen people try to like implement reforms or you know lobby governments and plead for some kind of humanity in the way that they treat us whether that be indigenous refugee you know uh, trans people like incarcerated people and we're not seeing anything change. Like it's 232 years of like ongoing brutal violence and it might not look like the early days of, you know, them coming into Aboriginal communities with the guns blazing, but it's deeply rooted in the systems. And I think at one point it's going to – there's going to be a tipping point. You know, we're we're going to realise that like there is no rationalising, there's no reasoning – with the state and
0: but you couldn't say like surely that things haven't gotten better in some way for example i mean you listed just then trans people indigenous um, populations migrants surely at some level it would be true to say that the lived material conditions for diverse groups in australia even though there's a whole host of shortcomings many which you just listed are better than they were fifty years ago. Like that, that would be a relatively fair statement.
1: I don't think I agree. I think that, um, oh, like the like I was saying before, like the more explicit forms of violence no longer exist as prominently as they once did here, but violence plays out in so many ways. You know, like I think people living in poverty is state violence or people being locked up for their fines is state violence, you know, and for, sorry, unpaid fines. And I think that that's like crucial to understanding like how deeply ingrained these systems are. Sure. But there Um, are
0: less people living in poverty now than there have been in the past.
1: Yeah. But I don't think it's uh, like when we're talking about humans, I don't think it's like measurable in numbers, you know, like I think that's unfair and I think that really takes away from the actual humanity of people is when you start looking at statistics and being like, it's better now because it's, you know, like, like I said before, like, it's, we're living in a, we're living under colonial capitalism where the violence just has a different face as time goes on. Um,
0: what would be the outcome of a violent revolution? What would happen afterwards?
1: Yeah, so this is, like, what uh, what we were envisioning before. I think, obviously, like, when I say, like, armed revolution or, like, uh, you know, violent uprising, um, I think we also have to recognise all of the things that um, need to happen for there to be something to come after. So there's, like, for example, laying out the foundations uh, rooted in, like, systems or not systems or, like, Uh, communities that care for each other without, you know, the need for incarceration or um, like mutual aid between, you know, just even just you and your neighbours. Like those are the things we want to see after the revolution. We want to see like Indigenous people lead and we want to see, we no longer want to see like refugees being processed offshore. We no no longer want to see like trans people being denied their humanity like on a day-to-day basis but also like in places like prisons, those are all of the things we want to see after the revolution Um, and we're building those foundations now, you know. Like I think the armed revolution is just what's going to topple the state Um, but there are so many incredible and like staunch collectives currently making – making a different world or like dreaming and imagining a different world.
0: Even if those collectives do exist, do you ever, do you worry that, um, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot as I kind of work out my politics in the world, Hmm. the fact that it, it seems that the right is, even in the face of all these crises, the right is still having a very popular moment. Um, and I mean, America and Trump is the big example. But even if you look here in Australia, something as catastrophic as the bushfires, which you surely would have thought would have meant people would have run to um, the left or people that, or, or pro climate change uh, groups, um, or even people on the left would be more willing to listen to ideas like yours. Mm but really we haven't actually seen much of a dent for popular support for Scott Morrison and the Liberal Party. So if the revolution, if the foundations are being built but it seems like popular support still is leaning so heavily to the right, where does it come from?
2: I
1: think, you know, I mentioned collectives working on these foundations. It's it's going to... to me, in my head, it looks like a case of leading by example and offering those alternatives. And it may not necessarily be politicized. You know, we might not call ourselves the left. Um, like we may call ourselves people helping other people on the streets, you know, and I think that's where it's really going to change is when we, first of all, avoid using that kind of political language that is is very inaccessible to begin with, um, for everyday people, you know, um, but l- literally actions like just acting out what mutual aid looks like, what collective care looks like, um, will be the thing that maybe, you know, sparks something in someone's brain and sees an, an alternative way of living or, um, yeah, more like a liberated world and hopefully that'll get them on board you know like I mean not that it's like a recruitment project or anything but um yeah I guess I just don't necessarily see things as like left right I mean it's important in some ways but also like especially the work that AAA are trying to do it's it's very much about looking after the people around you and um not necessarily trying to align with a certain you know political group yeah because by nature like we believe the entire system is deliberately violent and deliberately oppressive so then just saying that we like you know like that we pledge allegiance to another political party like it doesn't really work for us
0: Okay, well, that's given us a lot to to think about. <laughs> uh, the listener can judge for themselves on uh, all of the above. Maybe you've picked the interest of of uh, of some of them um What can we play to to play out this episode of out of the box
1: um Uh, Maybe we'll just go with Pyramids by Frank Ocean. (laughs) Something soothing? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I I don't know. I feel like there are themes of revolution in that song as well, really complex narratives about, um, yeah, like being black in the US, but also, also very soothing, also just like a... Yeah, engaged listening experience. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Listen out for them. And as every week, an enormous thank you to my producers, Rebecca Merrick and Bree Jones. aisha thank you so much for being my guest on Out of the Box.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
5: Run, run, come back for my picture. Bring her Hillpature. back to me. Pitch yeah, run, run, Hillpature. The crown of a battlefield, the throne of Hillpature. our picture. I and mean, The future shining like diamonds in a rocky world I keep keep wood I skin like bronzing our hair like cashmere As we march to the rhythm on the palace floor ah, I inside the pyramids Tremble from force Symbols crash the pyramids Voices fill up the halls Ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh. ooh Set the cheetahs on the loose I- you run off on me? How could you run off on us? You feel like God inside that gold. I found you laying down safe and In this full head of hair I found my black queen, Cleopatra Bad dreams, Cleopatra oh, oh, oh. Send the cheetahs to the toad. i am i so I'll, 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 i i do oh, 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 i I'll, I'll, no more, I'll, i don't know more. He has killed, 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 i sure. Twisting my cigars, floor model TV with the VCR Got boobies in my damn chain Whip ain't got no gas tank, but it still got wood grain Got your girl working for me Hit the strip and my bills pay, that keep my bills paid Hit the strip and my bills pay, keep a nigga bills pay. She's working at the pyramid tonight. Working at the pyramid. Yeah, yeah. Working at the pyramid tonight. Yeah, yeah. Working at the pyramid. Oh, i working at the pyramid tonight. Yeah, working at the pyramid. Ooh, ooh. working at the pyramid tonight. tonight. Working at the pyramid. You showed up after work. I'm bathing your body, touch you in places only I know. Your wet and your warm, just like a bathwater. Can we make love before you go, go? The way you say my name makes me feel like I'm that nigga, but I'm still unemployed. You say it's big, but you take it, take it. right kind out, of girl. But your love ain't free No more Baby But your love ain't free No more She's working no at the pyramid more, tonight no Working at the pyramid yeah, yeah. Working at the pyramid tonight yeah. Working at the pyramid That's right Working at the pyramid tonight Working at the piping oh, oh. Working at the pyramid tonight, working at the pivot, working at the pyramid tonight.
2: Podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com/podcasts.